0: let me encourage you if you've got a bible with you and that will be on the screen i think as well first john chapter 2 we'll read it from verse 3 through verse 11 in just a moment but let me say before i get into the lesson this morning i'm tired of this business you with me i'm tired of this seven months do you realize the israelites were taken into babylonian captivity and that's just the southern kingdom for 70 years and they put up with that some of you been, were around for a great portion of the previous century Some of you, I think, were around for at least the whole century. I won't call you by name. But we fought two major world wars during that time. And during those world wars, especially the second one, people did without a lot of things during those years of that war, suffered some real hardships, some difficulties, in order for us to be able to fight those wars. There've been other conflicts and other wars that took place during that time, perhaps not as devastating in terms of economic depravity or separation of people, maybe not the numbers of losses that we had during the first and second, especially the second world war. I wasn't around for either of those world wars. I just want to get that out in front. But I recognize what was done during those times these are times that test our mettle they test our faith not that god is bringing some some sort of heartache to us in that way but they are times that kind of test us and it is difficult for us at times to stand up and be what we are supposed to be but every day we are confronted with opportunities to be the people of god and whether it's attending a worship service or greeting somebody or offering a note of encouragement or making a telephone call or whatever it might be, we recognize the, where the opportunity is ours where we can, we can acceptably do so to be the people of God. Let our metal be tested, but let us prove true to his word and let us prove true to our other assets of life and our country and our, our state and our times even our our present place in this i think that's i think that's proper and right but this morning i want us to think about this passage because the question is do you love jesus do you love him now, I want us to read this scripture and then I want you to put it in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to it in just a few moments because we're going to, we're going to jump from this one to John chapter 21. Not going to read it, but you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Let's read this passage together. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. By this, now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He says, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is... The word of God, which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, as I said, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to it in just a little bit. But in John chapter 21, in the gospel of John, in the 21st chapter, there is a story there. It's a story after the death and the resurrection of Jesus where Peter and a handful of other disciples decide they're going to go fishing. It's instigated, perhaps by Peter there, and then others say, let's go, and they take off and they go fishing. Maybe they felt at loose ends, maybe they just needed to make some money, maybe they just wanted to go fishing. I don't know exactly what they had in mind. The reasoning is really almost unimportant, but they went out and they went to fish, and through the night, which was common for them, and letting down their nets and pulling in, they didn't make any great catch. As it got on towards morning, a voice called to them from the shore and said, well, children, have you caught anything? They said, no, we have not. Well, let down your net on the other side. And they did, and they caught a lot of fish. And it appears then that John spoke to Peter and says, hey, you know who that is? That's the Lord. Peter, realizing that John was correct, "...grabbed his clothing, leapt from the boat, and swam to the shore, leaving the others to bring the fish in. He there met Jesus on the shore, where Jesus had already laid a fire and begun to cook." Once the others came with the fish, Peter and the others brought the fish up there and they cooked breakfast and they had breakfast together with Jesus. We don't know what all was said, we don't know what all was done, but you can imagine being there and being in the presence of Jesus who had been dead and was alive, who had been with them off and on in the recent days, and as they are spending that time together, you know there is a certain kind of awe that is there as they are in the presence of Jesus and the discussions that may have taken place while they were eating together and the things that were said and and all must have been amazing in many regards but as the breakfast settles down because i think you know the story well as they were there by the seashore and breakfast appears to be over there they are in the story you may know well jesus interrupts what probably would have been a calm restful moment you know how it is after you've eaten you've worked all night you're there you've eaten you're relaxed and taking life easy and you're thinking you know i'm here with jesus all is well in the world things are as they should be and jesus breaks the moment as he looks to simon peter he says simon son of john or jonah depending on your translation same name. Do you love me? And Peter does respond. He does respond. But what an unsettling question to ask. What an unsettling question. I mean, this has to be This has to be one of the most unsettling questions that one person can ask of another person. Do you love me? And expecting a response. Oh, it's not that it's difficult to comprehend. It's not even really that difficult to answer. Still, the power of the meaning that is expressed and desired makes it one of the most challenging questions that would ever be addressed, that you or I would ever address in our lives. Peter knew his answer. But that this question was even asked, much less asked three times in the presence of others. People that know him well had to make it even more of a challenge. So here is a fact to consider as you think about that story. For in order to answer the question of love, one must first have a real knowledge. Remember our scripture a while ago? We know that we know him. In order to answer the question of love, one must first have a real knowledge. For while we may find it enchantment, entrancement, infatuation, whatever n-word you want to throw in there, that we may be in any means attracted to another person, we cannot truly love that person without real knowledge. For far too many times we as a people have learned the hard way that infatuation and the like tends to fade with time, but real love grows. So here's the question. It's the question of the hour. It's the question that's hanging. It's the question in front of us. And what I want you to do is put your name in the front of it. Instead of Simon, son of John, put your name there. Ross, not my name, your name. Come on. I could call you out by name if you'd rather, but no, you understand. Put your name there. Do you love me? How are you answering we want to answer immediately, yes, but how are you answering? The question is, do you love him? And how do you know? Well, let's go back to the story. Let's go back to the story for a minute and let's think about this. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of Simon Peter. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of that fisherman. Let's try to imagine being there. Let's try to imagine being on the shore there. Let's try to imagine that we are sitting there with Jesus and we've eaten breakfast with him and and we've been there. And I know that's a stretch of the imagination, but let's imagine that we are Simon Peter for a moment and we are there with him. And the question is being asked of us. And you think about that. Just think, you've spent the last three to four years Traveling and walking and being with Jesus and, and serving him and, and caring about him and protecting him. And in so many ways, you've spent three or four years closely following him, hanging on his words and being a part of his life as closely as any person could be. And as you've told him, you've set aside just about everything else in your life in order to be with him, your own family even. Lord, we have left all and followed you, he says back in chapter 6. Matthew 19. We're in it all the way, he's telling him. We've left all and followed you. And in fact... In fact, you can go back to that night that he is betrayed by Judas. You can go back to that point in time and you can recognize that you were the one. You were the one that when the mob came in the darkness, you were the one who said, I'll be with you and I'll die with you. You were the one who when you saw the mob pulled the sword or the dagger from its sheath and you went out to fight physically for Jesus. Do you love me? You were the one who fought against the mob for him. And you know in your heart, in the hours that followed, you know in your heart how burdened you were, how sorrowful you felt, that your own failure to claim him when you knew you should have was very real. and How burdened you were by that because of the love you had for him And when you heard word, when you heard word of his resurrection that his tomb was empty, though John ran ahead of you, you went to the tomb and you went right inside the tomb into a dead man's tomb, something that Jews typically didn't do because they didn't want to be unclean. You ran right into the tomb to see the place where he had been laid. You had done this. And as he asks the question, you realize, Lord, I'm the one that just swam to shore i was the one that was unwilling to wait for the boats i was the one that jumped in because i wanted to be with you so bad that i couldn't wait and so here you are in peter's place and the question is asked of you now you find yourself being asked you're the object of the most frustrating question you've ever been asked in your life and maybe it runs through your mind. Why not ask someone else? Why ask me, Lord? We've asked that question before, haven't we? Why me, Lord? Why us? Why has this happened to us? Why has this come my way? Well, where do you want the question to be asked? Who do you want him to ask the question of? Well, let's ask it about Judas. Judas is dead. We clearly can't ask him the question. He can't respond. We know where, what's happened with him. Why don't you ask Thomas? He's there. Thomas is right there. He's the one who said, I won't believe until I I reach out and touch him. I can see the scars and so forth. Why not ask Thomas? He's there. Or James and John? Why not them? There are even other unnamed disciples, at least two more unnamed disciples right there with them. Why not ask one of them? Or maybe there are other people there as well. Why not ask one of these people? Why not just ask in general? Why ask me? Why, Why not ask one of them instead of me? He could have mentioned any number of people except you. Or he could have just spoken in general. Do people love me? Remember that discussion on the road as they walk along? Matthew 16, verse 13, they went along on the road, and he asked, who do men say that I am? It's a very general statement. Why did he say it? He could have said, guys, do you think people love me? Does anybody really love me? Might have been an easier question, but... I think about that. Did he really need to ask? He knew, didn't he? He knew whether Peter loved him. He knew who loved him and who didn't. Why did he ask? Could it be that it was about reassurance? And reassurance is not a bad thing, is it? We like reassurance, generally speaking. There's the old story that you circulate sometimes about the the couple. The years had passed by, been married a long time. Now, this was in the time when you got into your car and no bench seats in the front, when you could still carry all five kids in the front seat of a car with you. But. they're driving along in the car and the wife is sitting there pondering, looking out the window. She looks over at her husband, who's now getting a little bit of age on him. She looks at her husband and she said, Honey, do you remember the days when we used to sit side by side in the car and you used to put your arm around me as we drove down the, down the road together? And he kind of nodded. And she said, Why don't we do that? He looked at her and he said, I haven't moved. <laughs> Think about that. I haven't moved. I know cars are not the same as they used to be, but that whole story's out there. What's it about? What I mean it's a joke, I understand. But it's about reassurance, isn't it? We like it. We want to be reassured. We like to be reassured. Birthdays, Valentine's days, anniversaries, all kinds of occasions come up where gifts or cards or, or statements are made to reassure one another of our love for one another. That's what those things are about. Reassurance is not a bad thing. Paul wanted the Christians in Corinth to show the sincerity of their love, to prove their love. 2 Corinthians. 8, verses 8 and 24. Because you understand that reassurance is not a bad thing. It is for more than the one who's receiving the reassurance. This has got to be about Peter. This was more for Peter than for Jesus. And so I call on you to think about this, if you will, and imagine, imagine, How you would have responded if it had been you. The question is yours. How would you have responded? And that takes us back to our other passage that we read in the very beginning. I told you we were going to come back to it. We know him. Sometimes we sing the old song a lot of times before the Lord's Supper. When my love for Christ grows weak. When for deeper faith I seek. Hill of Calvary I go. To thy scenes of fear and woe. But the point is when my love for Christ grows. Well hopefully it grows stronger over time. But we have to recognize that faith and hope and love. As Paul describes them in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope and love all have times in which they struggle. In which they find points of weakness. In which they struggle to get along. And while we may look at ourselves and we may think, I'll never fail in my love for the Lord. L.O. Sanderson wrote, though my cross may be hard to bear, though my life may be filled with care, though misfortune be mine to share, I'll never forsake my Lord. We'd like to believe that in ourselves, wouldn't we? We'd like to believe that we're never going to lose sight of something like that. We're never going to let something happen. There are things that are absolute in our lives and they will never, ever fail. Who, Who would have thought? Who would have thought a couple of planes crashing into the World Trade Center would have caused those towers to pancake to the ground? Burn, maybe. Damage, maybe. But we watched, didn't we? And we were dumbfounded. We couldn't imagine something like that happening. But that's exactly the way doubt and distraction and distance will challenge us. When time moves on and we're not recognizing ourselves and the Lord in the way we ought to, they're going to challenge us as we strive to maintain And there is that challenge ever before us to keep our eyes fixed, our focus fixed on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so in the passage that we read in the very beginning, I believe Jesus gives us, or John gives us, John gives us four things I want us to hold on to quickly. Four things that will help us. Four things that are key actions to answer. The question, do you love him? Do you want to be assured that you love him? Do you know that you love the Lord? Four things. One, he says, you need to obey his commands, his instructions. Go back to John 14, verse 15, in that marvelous passage. If you love me, keep my commandments. Or if you love me, many of the translations say you will. It's a necessary inference, I guess you'd say. If you love me, you're going to keep my command. If you love me, you're going to do what you're supposed to do. If you love me, you'll do this. He spent his time talking about things. A new commandment I give to you. These commandments. Keep the commandments, he told the rich young man. Obey his commandments. You want to know if you know him? His word becomes the, guarding, uh, the guiding beacon of your life. Secondly, you want to know whether you love him? Walk as he walked. Back in 1977, in September of 1977, I was in Ohio to get married. Yeah, that's right. 1977, we were driving down, isn't that, I think it's Highway 23 that that divides Ohio just about down the middle north and south. If I got the number wrong, I apologize. But it was a day or two before a wedding, and we were in the car, and we had a couple of Paula's friends in the car, and we were, we were driving north, I think t- headed towards Chillicothe from where they lived, and you can check that on the map later, you don't have to look right now. And I looked, and on the other side of the road was a, a man walking along with a large, about 10 or 12 foot cross over his shoulder, had a little wheel at the bottom of it. I don't think Jesus' cross had a wheel on it. Had a cross over his shoulder walking down the side of the highway. I told the people in the car, I've got to check this out. As Soon as we could, I turned around and I came up and I got out of the car and I went up and I said, what are you doing? I don't remember my exact words, but that's basically it. He paused, he put down his cross, and he started telling me what he'd done. He'd begun in Pontiac, Michigan, and he was walking, I believe it was was either to Tampa or or Miami, Florida. He was walking down into Florida, southern Florida, with this cross over his shoulder. He gave me some literature and so forth and, and all. And of course, obviously it was to get attention. Obviously it was to get people's notice. Obviously it was to get people like me to stop saying, what are you doing? But you know what? As interesting a thing as that is, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He didn't want us to go and slap some boards together and take off dragging them down the highway, go out to a hill out here somewhere and have ourselves nailed onto it till we die. But to walk as he walked, to walk as he walked is to be tied to the purpose of serving God. In John 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, I came from heaven, basically not to be served, but to do my own will, he said, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Walk as he walked, to do as the Father wants us to do. Remember Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone that says says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who You know the rest of it, don't you? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Great passage. And that's what John is telling us right here to walk as he walked. Thirdly, here's a tough one. Love the brethren. Love your brethren. he's telling us in order to love god you got to be able to love your brethren to love god is to love the things the people and all that are associated with god to love the church to love it for what it is to love it for the people that are there and sometimes that's just not easy sometimes that's not easy sometimes that's a little bit having like having to love your in-laws just not always easy What he's he's reminding us is, is we have something in common, we have something shared, and it is intended to be a mutual love. Some of the latter words that Peter writes, and he is so succinct about what he writes, but some of the latter words that Peter writes, basically he says, love the brotherhood, love it. That doesn't just mean feel good about it, actively love it, determinedly love it, participate with it, love it. Love the brethren. And fourthly, can't go into all the detail on that, but fourthly, and here it is keep in the light. Don't wander off. Don't go in one direction or another. Keep in the light. And we might, as I said early on, think, ah, oh, never going to happen to me, never going to go in that direction. There is something attractive. There is something attractive, or it wouldn't be called temptation. There is something attractive about the secrecy of darkness. John 3, in verse 19, it says, you know, here's what's happened. The light is coming into the world. But people, anthropos, Greek word, mankind, love the darkness rather than the light because the deed, because their deeds were evil. They'd rather be in the dark because when their deeds are evil they can hide them, we can be secure in that. There is something attractive about the secrecy of darkness. But in the light, in the light there is no hidden agenda, there is no evil, there is no undermining. And perhaps best of all, when you back up to the previous chapter in John chapter 1, I mean, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. There is that little phrase, as he is in the light. Remember what we said, walk as he walked, obey his commands, love his brethren? Where he is, is where we want to be. You want to know Jesus? Obey the commands, walk as he walked, love the brethren, and keep in the light. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's a great passage why I wanted to read it up front. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Oh Lord, you know I love you. You want to know whether you know him and love him? Put these things into practice every day. So if you haven't, try putting yourself by that morning fire. Listen carefully to the words of Jesus And when all the breakfast is over and all the things have been said and everything is laid out and everybody's kind of calm, listen to the words of Jesus and let him ask you the question. Do you love me? We're going to sing this song of encouragement this morning. Maybe there is someone who does need to respond. The question hangs out before you. It's up to you to consider that question. If you need to respond to the Savior this morning, the opportunity is yours, whatever you need might be, whether to put the Savior on in baptism, to begin your life and walk in Him, or maybe you have some other need you want to make known this morning, we we'll gladly share it with you. If it's prayers you need, if it's redirection of life, whatever it might be, let us help you with that need this morning. If you need to come, please do so while we stand, while we sing the song together.